We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, this is Luka Doncic. Can he get it away in time on the step back? He does! He hits! He hits! And the Mavericks have won the game! Luka Doncic with a 30-footer to win it at the horn! And you're listening to the Mavs Step Back Podcast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome in to another episode of the Mavs Step Back Podcast. This is the latest installment of Mavs Step Back Live. I'm your host, Dalton Trigg. You can find uh, all of my work at Dalton underscore Trigg on Twitter. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Galatson, today. You can find all of his work at... Matt underscore Galatson. Uh, Matt, we have a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, The Mavs, they just continue to impress with their uh, amazing newfound defensive efforts. Uh, It's in, you know, I read a a really cool piece uh, the other day, uh, you know, talking about it was just kind of like, well, how do the Mavs have this elite of a defense despite not really having a true anchor? And, I mean, it really is a case where every guy on the team is buying in. Uh, they're, they're playing with high energy every night. Uh, you know, I wrote that piece on DallasBasketball.com uh, the other day. There's no participation trophies anymore. There's no, you know, I guess I guess it's kind of unfair to call it a gimmick, but in all reality, that's, that's kind of what it was. The, uh, uh, the wrestling belt <laughs> that the Mavs gave out for uh, – Good defensive efforts last season, you know. <laughs> I hated that. <laughs> that, that. That was one of those situations where it was just kind of like, oh, God, can we please just get some kind of effort? We'll, we'll, we'll try and give out something to get it from the Mavs. But you don't have to do that anymore. Uh, Jalen Brunson, Luka Doncic, that, you know, they've all said that it's expected on a nightly basis, and you can see that. Uh, with how the Mavs have have played here lately, they've won 11 of their last 13 games. Uh, per Stat Muse, I saw that on Twitter uh, earlier today. For the last 23 games, I believe they've held their opponents under 50% shooting, uh, which is absolutely incredible. And you know the the defense continued last night when the Mavs beat the Grizzlies 104 to 91, and it was Ja versus Luca. Uh, ja had a very respectable uh, night in his own right. He was like the only br- bright spot for the Grizzlies. Uh, put up 35 points of his own, but Luca he had 37 
points, uh, 12 rebounds, and nine assists. It was the 17th time in Luca's career where he has come up at least one rebound or one assist short of a triple double, <laughs> which is which is very very annoying uh, from from a OCD standpoint. But anyway. Uh, the Mavs are still playing great. They're 27 and 20 now. Uh, they're inching closer to the Utah Jazz, surprisingly, in the Western Conference standings. The Jazz are slipping a little bit. And Rudy Gobert, he strained his calf last night. And the Mavs still have three head-to-heads with the Grizzlies left on the in these remaining, I think, 37 games of the season. So uh, there is a legitimate shot that the Mavs could catch the Jazz and possibly the possibly the Grizzlies too. So um, how, what are your thoughts on this team right now? I mean, it's been a while since we've actually just talked, me and you have talked about how well the Mavs are playing. I mean, where where have your expectations gone from what you've seen, you know, the last couple? My expectations are wildly different from where they were at the beginning of the season, not just because – you know, the beginning of the season, they weren't playing great defense. I think they were ranked like 21st or something like that in defensive rating for a while. Um, but they weren't, and they weren't hitting their shots and all that stuff. But you know, the 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 defensive turnaround is one of the most astounding things I've seen in. I mean, I can't remember how long. Uh, I think they were first in the NBA in defensive rating over the last month. And I think they're fifth overall in the league. Now I think Bobby Corrala tweeted something out like that. I I don't have it in front of me, but the amount of improvement they've had on that end of the floor, especially considering where they were at last year and the fact that they were able to do it with mostly the same players is one of the most impressive things I've seen in a long time. It it's, it's not, Defense is different than offense in the sense that you can have hot and cold shooting nights. You know, you can, you can be a really good offensive team and then, you know, one night you're off and it loses you a game. Defense is a lot more consistent because it's a system, it's effort. It's, it's not a ball going into a hoop. So if they, if this is something that's sustainable, which is something that looks feasible over the next few months, then I don't see any reason why they, why they should slow down and, you know, not be able to make a pretty big impact in the playoffs. If I mean, if, if if they play like this in the playoffs, they can beat anybody. And that's just a testament to what Jason Kidd has done over the last couple months. Yeah, and I, I saw a really uh, – uh, Josh Bowe over at Mavs Moneyball, he wrote a piece uh, today – Talking about you know how it's how it's incredible that the Mavs are still able to win these games despite not hitting their three pointers. <laughs> the three point shooting is still very much a problem, but like it, it just it hasn't affected their ability to win. That's how high of a, a defensive effort they're giving on a nightly basis, and it's it's, it's resulting in a bunch of W's. So, uh, you know, if it turns around and some of these guys can, can start shooting uh, from deep in a way that we're accustomed to. So, you know, Luca starting to shoot closer to that. And, and some people say it was uh, an outlier year from for him last year when he shot 35%. But, you know, if he could just get up to like 33%, uh, if Tim Hardaway Jr. could get, you know, 
above 35%. You know, he's been a, he was a 40% three point shooter uh, the last two years. And, you know, maybe it's a system thing. Maybe he's just not a fit, you know, whatever the case may be. I personally think he would be greatly uh, impacted by, you know, the Mavs eventually getting uh, Dragic on a buyout because then, you know, with with Jalen Brunson in the starting lineup, you don't have that lack of a secondary playmaker off the bench. And I think that's one of the things that uh, that Hardaway Jr. is is really struggling from right now. I think that would help him out a bunch. But, you know, having him won't be on the roster very much longer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he really might be the odd man out. I mean, you can see, and I, I'm not, nobody knows this for sure, but I mean, just from the eye test watching these last couple of games, you can see some very visible frustration uh, from Luca's end with some of these, some of these plays uh, involving Tim Hardaway Jr. And it kind of gives you flashbacks to, you know, before the, uh, before the KP trade three years ago, <laughs> he, he was uh, displaying some of that same frustration with DeAndre Jordan and Wes Matthews, and the next thing you know, uh, those guys were shipped off. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying he's out here advocating for it, but I feel like that's something that uh, something that the front office can kind of notice, and it, it's been very apparent that that he's not the the greatest fit with with what this team is trying to do. So, I don't know if there's a team out there. That that thinks you know Tim Hardaway Jr. can they can get him back to what he was the last two years, uh, but he is on a contract that decreases in value every year, and you know he's a good veteran presence. And there are some teams you know like the Detroit Pistons, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, they had a lot of interest in Hardaway Jr. during the summer. Uh, the Sacramento Kings, they've had interest in Hardaway Jr. in the past. Now, given that's when Vlade Divac was in charge uh, there, I'm not sure if that was mostly from him or, you know, the owner's perspective when they had interest. But, you know, there there is some interest in him out there. I just don't know to what extent. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if – I feel like they – the Mavs would have to pair Jalen Brunson – with Tim Hardaway Jr., mostly for salary matching reasons. But, I mean, it, it would take something like that uh, to trade Tim Hardaway Jr., in my opinion. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, but, yeah, the Mavs and Gri- – the Mavs uh, last night was big because it assured that the Mavs have the tiebreaker over the Grizzlies. Uh, they win the season series 3-1. to one. They're 3-0 and oh against the Grizzlies when Luka plays this year. So – uh, it kind of feels like it's one of those things where the Mavs just ha- have the Grizzlies number. Uh, KP outplayed Jaron Jackson Jr. last night. He had six blocks. I think that's right. Yeah, six blocks last night for KP. Just incredible. The team as a whole had 12. Uh, it was the definition of a block party uh, at American Airlines Center against Memphis. So uh, really good stuff from Luca. really good stuff from KP and the rest of the Mavs. They continue to climb up the Western Conference standings or creep up uh, because they still haven't caught uh, Utah and and Memphis yet, but they're getting there. Uh, So this is going to lead into our next topic here before I start having people on, and I'm kind of skipping over the trade scenarios and saving that for last because, you know, that's going to be the best part. But But before we get to that, is Jason Kidd – a legitimate coach of the year candidate. 
Okay, I, I had something on this. I actually looked something up here, so I'm being productive and, and participating. Um, so I think if you would have asked me this question a month and a half ago, two months ago, I would have said absolutely not. And but if if they if if things keep going the, the way they have been over the last you know month month and a half and they can sustain that through the all-star break and through the end of the season, which will be hard, but I think they can do it. I think yes. Right now he's um, got the ninth best odds per, per Las Vegas for coach of the year odds. Uh, I got that from Vegas insider. And you look at the other names on the list and yeah, like there's some legitimate contenders there that probably have a better case than him right now. Monty Williams in Phoenix, J.B. Bickerstaff in Cleveland, Billy Donovan in Chicago, uh, even the guy at Memphis, Taylor Jenkins. You know they've had a huge turnaround this year and, and they've been really good. So I mean, there's some, there's going to be some tough competition, but as long as they can sustain it, I don't see other, any reason why he shouldn't be at least in the conversation. I mean, I know we we talk about postseason awards a lot and how certain maps should be in conversations and all that stuff. Luca for MVP, Tim Hardaway Jr. for six man last year, whatever, but as far as coach of the year goes, I mean that if you can, if you can sustain this and you end up at a top two or three week seed in the West, then you have to at least have them as a finalist. I would think. I agree. And I mean, I think it's one of those things I'd have to look up the, the exact numbers for this, but I feel like coach of the year typically goes to, you know, coaches who are at the top of their conferences Whereas, you know, MVP, there's a little bit more leniency with that. You know, you, you can be the third seed or the fourth seed or whatever it is. And as long as you've got your team in a pretty respectable position in the standings, if the stats are good enough, then, you know, a guy has a chance of, of winning MVP. But I feel like with coach of the year, unless it just comes out of nowhere, you know, it's not like it's not like Jason Kidd went to the Orlando Magic and, you know, turned that team into a 27 and 20 <laughs> team in the Eastern Conference uh, standings or anything like that. But, you know, it, I, I do think the Mavs still have to climb the rest of this season for him to have a legit legit chance of winning it. Uh, his name is going to come up in the conversation. You know, he'll, he'll be in the mix there. But for him to have a true chance to win it, uh, I think they do need to end up getting in that third spot, which is going to be hard uh, because they, they don't play the Grizzlies anymore. Uh, even though they do have the tiebreaker and they're currently four games behind the Grizzlies. Uh, but they still have Dylan Brooks out. They have Bain out for a little bit longer. You know, they could uh, they could potentially stumble here in the next couple of weeks. And uh, looking at the Mavs end of January schedule and start of February, they could end up making up some more ground. So, I mean, it's possible. Uh, but, you know, and, and the Mavs, I mean, the – the Utah Jazz and the Memphis Grizzlies play each other a couple more times the rest of this season too. So uh, either either way those games go will, will help the Mavs out. So I, I, I think that's what it comes down to. If the Mavs are fortunate enough to continue playing the way they are, which I also believe is, is possible, if, if they're fortunate enough to continue going up the standings, I think it's a no-brainer that he's going to have a legit shot at winning it. And how crazy would that be? Given the <laughs> given the preseason uh, dread 
the doomsday scenarios. Jason Kidd going to be fired by Christmas. All that stuff. And then for him to be a legitimate coach of the year candidate, how crazy is that? It it would be pretty cool. I mean, I, I would definitely eat some crow. Um, I was one of the people who wasn't really happy about the hire. Um, you know, and some of our friends, Kirk specifically, was not very happy about it either. And there was, there was different reasons that people weren't happy about it, whether it was, you know, stuff we're not going to talk about or his track record as, as a head coach. But um, he's obviously doing some things different than he was in Milwaukee and in in Brooklyn. So especially in Milwaukee, um, he obviously learned a lot from his time in LA and players seem happy to play for him and they want to play hard for him, which is, you know, 90% of the battle. (laughs) So, um, I mean, yeah, that'd be absolutely crazy. And, And I would, I will happily eat crow if it happens. Well, and I just, I, that's the thing, you know, people, People just chose to focus on the past instead of, you know, his previous head coaching stops instead of what he had done, the progress he had made as an assistant coach and, uh, you know, with the Lakers the last couple of years. Cause Kidd himself admitted that he jumped into head coaching way too soon. Uh, he admitted that he got into it way too soon. He made a lot of mistakes. Uh, but you know, from, from his time in LA and then you pair that with the fact that he has an excellent coaching staff around him and he's in a place where he's very familiar. He's got his friends, Mark Cuban, Dirk Nowitzki, you know, it's, it's home for him. He's comfortable. Uh, so I think all of that paired together has just made it, you know, a really, really good situation. And we heard, you know, before it even started that kid was, was able to get along with players better than, you know, what we had been accustomed to with Rick Carlisle. And sure enough, that has played a big role in all of this. You know, he's obviously getting all these guys motivated on a nightly basis uh, to keep bringing the same effort uh, night in, night out. So that, that's been great to see. And hopefully it continues and, you know, uh, everybody's eating crow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because, I mean, I, I I said from the beginning, you know, let's give this guy time and see what he can do. But, you know, he wasn't my first choice uh, to be the Mavs head coach anyway. But, you know, that's why neither one of us are, you know, making executive decisions for the Mavs. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Okay. We have rambled for a while now, so we're going to start bringing up some speakers. Our first speaker is Max Turner. Let's see. Let me get you up here. Max, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm working from home, so I, was, I just put myself on mute for my, my work conference <laughs> call. So I'll be very brief. I just wanted to bring up a, a quick question for you guys that I was curious. And it sounds like you guys were maybe going to get more into this later on, too. Um, and, and if you are, you know, feel free to just pass it on to later on. But I was wondering what pieces, like in terms of Drogic, you know, making a difference on the Mavs, I was wondering how he he would even fit into our rotation. Um, I feel like from listening to you guys, it may be like Tim Hardaway Jr. might have to give up some minutes, if not be one of the trade pieces, if that would even make sense, you know, financially for both teams. But um, I just was wondering, yeah, would we go to like smaller lineups and have, you know, more guards out on the floor or is there a specific guard you think he would eat up their minutes? I, w- I was just wor- wondering what your guys' thoughts were in terms of how he would fit, you know, besides being like that big brother figure to 
Doncic, which would, you know, have value in itself. I, I was thinking more like X's and O's, how he would fit on the floor, like a, maybe like a Brunson type of role with the ball handling. But I just wanted to hear more about that. Well, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, appreciate you coming on and a- asking that, Matt, uh, Max. Uh, but, I mean, look, it's not going to be one of those things where he just gets a set amount of minutes from just one spot. You know, it'd be it'd probably be a, probably be a combination of him getting a few minutes from each spot of, you know, guys on the bench, uh, depending on how they're playing and everything. I don't think you need more than, like, maybe 10 to 12 minutes of Dragic off the bench uh, because they just need somebody to stabilize the lineups when they don't have Luca or KP or Jalen Brunson in the game, uh, you know, because Luca and K- Luca and Jalen Brunson are playing most of their minutes together now. Uh, Luca goes out, JB will stay in for a little bit. Uh, but, you know, aside from that, they really just don't have anybody else who can – who can do the things that those two do. Uh, so that would be the thing, you know, get Dragic in there to where if both of those guys need a breather, you know, last night against the Grizzlies, uh, the game was pretty much in hand. It, uh, you know, you thought it was going to be a blowout. Kid took out both Luca and KP. And I have to go back and look. I, I can't remember if Brunson was still in the game or not. I feel like he wasn't. Felt like just Tim Hardaway Jr. was out there trying to <laughs> – trying to do stuff by himself and then next thing you know it's like a it's like a 12 point game uh when it was a game that should have been a 20 plus point blowout so uh, stuff like that to just stabilize that second unit and to make it to where it's not just an automatic turnover it, it would just make you feel better going into the postseason and that's where Dragic makes his biggest impact is in the postseason too uh, and he hasn't played pretty much this entire season, so he should have fresh legs. So, I mean, that that's where I'm at. I don't think it's just one particular person he would take minutes from. You know, maybe maybe you take some minutes from from Josh Green, which I know a lot of people probably hate hearing that. But, I mean, I don't, I don't think you – I think you'd rather trust Dragic handling the ball for the second unit in the postseason, you know, rather than second-year Josh Green, who has been great but uh, with his passing and everything. But, you know, there's just a lot more poise. There, there's a guy that's been to the NBA Finals. I think it adds more than just, you know, uh, a good locker room presence with Luka. But, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously everyone knows how I feel about that. But, um, you know, it, it, gives you, it gives you the sort of uh, – JJ Barea type 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 role uh, out of default, even if he's not eating in anyone's minutes. Um, say your team's in a you know a tough spot and, and stagnant and, and things just aren't going your way. I mean, Matthew used to do it all the time with JJ Barea. They just bring him in, he'd shoot the energy up, he'd get the team back in the game, and then things would you know start to fall into place. He could play that kind of role, but you know, like you said, Dalton, he also just just coming off the bench. I mean, he's not going to start games, but him coming off the bench and you getting to play more Luca and JB together and maybe have JB as a permanent starter, um, I think would be really ideal because they, they play really well off of each other already. So having a guy like Goran to, to come off the bench and, and sort of guide 
second unit and be a guy that can get his own shot and handle the ball and do and facilitate and do all those things is something that they they really need to get another one of because they don't have it on the roster right now and 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 i mean look and jalen brunson has been great but we've seen at times this season where he still struggles against teams that have a lot of length like the phoenix suns the other night uh he had some really atrocious turnovers at important you know parts of the end of that fourth quarter and luca had his fair share of turnovers too but you know, it, you can't have both of those guys combining for 14 turnovers. And most of Luca's can be cut out, I think. I think it's just more of like a mental lapse with him than anything else. But with Brunson, it seems like most of those turnovers, just going back to that Phoenix game specifically, it was more so about his size because he was getting trapped and he couldn't see over the trap. And he was just kind of throwing it up and hoping something good would happen. You know, it's it's like stuff like that is where I think you could benefit uh, from having another reliable uh, secondary distributor, you know, who can be poised in those situations. And it, it just gives you another option if for some reason Brunson isn't getting it done on certain nights. And I think it raises your playoff ceiling too. So, um I I mean, it, look, this is something we've been talking about forever, and I do believe that, you know, this is the year Dragic comes to the Mavs, whether it's whether it's via trade or, or buyout. It's most likely going to be a buyout, but, you know, with the way Tim Hardaway Jr. has been playing lately, I mean, you and with the frustration you've seen <laughs> over the last couple of games, it's kind of it's one of those things like, well, I mean, how do the Mavs view – uh, the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract right now is it even though it is decreasing in value yearly is it something that you know they want to play out and see if he can raise his trade value more uh, as the as the contract goes on maybe through the end of this season and see what it looks like during the summer or is it something that you know they want to try to get off of uh, right now and see if they can open up something. Uh, for this summer as well because I mean if you trade him for Dragic I know I forgot who it was maybe it was uh, uh, Chuck Cooperstein on Twitter it may not have been so don't quote me exactly on this but somebody had mentioned on Twitter that if you traded a guy like Dwight Powell for Goran Dragic that it would be like roster malpractice given how many games Powell has started this year and I mean look I get it I get it in some context because Powell has actually had some really good games this year. Uh, But, you know, if you're looking at it from a salary cap standpoint, it's like you're trading for a guy who is going to still be a a really good locker room leader. Uh, His playoff track record is far and above anybody else (laughs) aside from, aside from what Luca has individually accomplished in the playoffs, you know, his, his playoff, uh, resume is very nice. So, I mean, I just – and also he's on an, an expiring $19 million contract. So if you wanted to get off of, you know, Dwight Powell's remaining, I think it's 11 or $12 million next year, if you wanted to consider moving off of Tim Hardaway Jr.'s, you know, long-term deal you just signed him to, maybe that's something you look into. I don't know. But well, – if that were actually roster malpractice, I don't think people would trade players for air. 
Like it, it's, I, I think that's, I think that's a really invalid and, and illogical point if I'm being totally honest, but whoever, whether it was Coop or whoever said it, people now make that, moves I, like this all the time. I think it was, I think it was Brad Townsend. Now that I think of it, it well, was, I know it was either makes one more of sense. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Matt, a couple of other trade scenarios that I wanted to just briefly go over here. And some of these were submitted uh, to our Step Back Mavs Twitter account. Some of them uh, we've actually already talked about a little bit or I've written about on uh, DallasBasketball.com. But the first one I'm very interested in getting your idea, your, your thoughts on, is the idea of the Mavs adding Jeremy Grant. Because – yes. It's one of those situations where Jeremy Grant, like, yeah, people are saying, like, oh, well, he wants to be the number one option uh, on whatever team he goes to. That's not what the what the report was. The report was he wants to be a primary option. He wants to be one of the top options, uh, you know, uh, as a focal point wherever he ends up going. He didn't say he wants to be the number one guy. So in in that respect, it's like, okay, well, he could definitely come to Dallas and be possibly the second second best uh, offensive player on the team. He would be heavily featured there, and he would fit right in with the new defensive culture uh, that the Mavs have built. So with that in mind, and considering what the Lakers just offered the – reportedly offered the Pistons for Grant, which was, I believe – Talon, Horton, Tucker, uh, who else? I have to go look. It was oh, it was uh, I don't know. See, that's how bad it is. It was it was THT, some other player that doesn't matter, and their twenty twenty seven first round pick. <laughs> which, which I mean, the pick, considering where LeBron is in his career, and you know how much how much uh, Anthony Davis has left on his contract. I mean that pick could end up being pretty valuable depending on where on on where they end up in the next handful of years. So but other than that, you know, my proposed offer when I wrote about this, I wrote about this before the Lakers put that in, but my offer was Tim Hardaway Jr., who the Pistons had a great deal of interest in uh last offseason. Josh Green, who has shown promise this year, and you can basically treat him as a first round pick because, you know, 
uh, we don't even count last year as his rookie year because he really didn't get an opportunity. He has this year, and we see what he's capable of, you know, with continued development. He fits the Pistons' timeline as a project. And the – and well – I said the 2025 first-round pick. I don't think the Mavs can do that unless they get New York to lift the protection, which I was talking to somebody not too long ago who said that that can be done. We'd probably have to send the Knicks a second-round pick or something just for their troubles or whatever. But, I mean, that's that's small potatoes. We could do that easily. But uh, either a 2025 first-round pick or uh, 2027. So, in my opinion, I feel like, that brings more value to the Pistons than what the Lakers are offering there. And I might be wrong because obviously I look at some of these things mostly through Mavs goggles, but I mean, I really think that that's something that the Mavs could pull off if they wanted to pursue it. Now, some people say that that's the biggest drawback. It's like, Oh, well, what does Jeremy Grant actually want? He's not really the focal point in, in Detroit anymore either. They drafted Cade Cunningham. He is the focal point of that franchise going forward now. So, I mean, Jeremy Grant, he's not going to be – now he's just on a one of the most losing teams in the Eastern Conference final Eastern Conference standings for the last couple of years, and he's no longer the, you know, the future of the franchise. So I think it's something that they should definitely look into. He would fit in great with the Mavs, and I think they have enough to get it done. Yeah, no, I, I look, I love Harold Perkins. I mean, Harold Perkins. I love Jeremy. Sorry, that, that's a breaking Aggies news, so I got my names confused for a second. Uh, I love Jeremy Grant. I, I think that he's an excellent fit. I think that the Mavs can definitely beat that offer. Um, it's just a matter of you know, whether or not they're willing to pull the trigger. I mean, they, they're they not the most aggressive team when it comes to, to trades. They've They've made a few good ones here and there. They've made a few bad ones here and there, but that's one that I think can make a real difference and it's, it's a real um, it's a realistic possibility. It's a realistic trade. It's not a, you know um, what, what's the, what's the word we pipe dream. It's not a pipe dream. It's something that they could really put together in. I, I, I know that Jeremy Grant might not want to come to Dallas necessarily as his first choice. Maybe um, I'm sure there's other places he'd like to go, different head coaches he'd like to play for potentially. But as far as on court basketball fit, I think it's I think it's great, and I think he'd sort of help this team take a next step. You know? To me, it feels like Jeremy Grant would be like the new age Mavs version of Josh Howard <laughs> if they ended up getting him. That that's what I feel like. Uh, like Grant would end up being for the map. So I'm all for that. Uh, another one I want to talk about here briefly before we get out of here, this is another big one that, that, that I uh, kind of threw together. And I don't really know if you consider this a pipe dream or not, Matt. Uh, it is kind of, you know, getting up there, uh, you know, away from <laughs> – you know, what the Mavs would actually have to give versus what they're willing to give up. But, I mean, I'm just kind of surveying the NBA landscape here. And you look at the Sacramento Kings, and they're about to, unless something changes in the second half of this season, they're on pace to break the NBA record uh, for most seasons 
having missed the the playoffs. So that the playoff drought is about to be an NBA record. And things just haven't worked out with this current roster. There was a report the other day that pretty much everybody not named De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton are available <laughs> for, for the Kings. And uh, specifically the three players, Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald, and Rashawn Holmes. And we've talked a little bit about you know, Harrison Barnes, but, uh, and what a potential reunion with him might look like and what the fit is like now, uh, based on what it was back when they had him in the first stint. But I feel like right now, if, if the Mavs are going to make like a really big splash for multiple players, I feel like that's probably their best option is to, you know, try and put together something, uh, to get both Buddy Heald and Rashawn Holmes. And, I know people are just, you know, I've seen some people suggest like, oh, well, you know, Buddy Heald, he's not really shooting that much better than Tim Hardaway Jr. I mean, he's a 40% three-point shooter for his career, Buddy Heald is. And even in a down year this year, I think he's still shooting 38% from three, where Tim Hardaway Jr. is at 33%, and I think he's shooting, what, 38% from the field? (laughs) So I I just I don't think there's a comparison there. I I think it's one of those situations where you put Buddy Heald in a, a situation with the Mavs where there's a lot of defense around him and uh you know his offense would be greatly uh, appreciated in Dallas and it would help things out a lot and then you have Rashawn Holmes who is basically like a how do I want to put this? He's basically like a supercharged Dwight Powell. He he's what he's what Dwight Powell or what the Mavs think Dwight Powell is, you know, from an overall perspective. He he brings high energy all the time. Uh he has a very, very nice uh little push shot that he gets in the paint and does. It's this pretty efficient. Uh, he's good with the with the pick and roll, which Luca would be uh very happy to have. So I just feel like if they're going to make a, a big splash for multiple players, like a bigger trade than just, you know, adding one one guy, that's probably their best option. And I'm curious to get your thoughts uh, about if you think I'm way off here, if, if it's something the Mavs can actually pull off, uh, or if I'm just kind of banking on the Kings being the Kings <laughs> like they have been over the last uh, decade plus. Well, Kings are always going to Kings. Um, but look, it, that's obviously a little bit more, um, I wouldn't say that's a pipe dream, but it's, it's a little bit more of a, of a, of a steep ask, I think, than, than Jeremy Grant, only because you're at, you're asking for two players there. You're asking for two guys that, um, will be highly desirable around the trade deadline for the Kings that, you know, maybe they could flip both into, into separate deals and get more assets, whatever they want to do. Either way, they're they're still going to be a mess going forward because they're the Kings. But um, it's you know it's one of those things where if if they are going to be aggressive, which like I said a minute ago, they're not always the most aggressive team. But if they are, then that is a you know a fantastic package to get. It it helps fix your three point issues. It helps fix your 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 defense issues, your inside issues, um, and it it gives you you know, two guys that are really kind of wasting the prime of their careers away in 
in Sacramento and gives them an opportunity to come to Dallas and compete for a playoff spot and perhaps more. And I mean, you know, Holmes isn't necessarily, neither one of these guys are necessarily uh, great defenders to put it nicely, but you know, the, the energy that especially Holmes plays with, and uh, you know, if, if KP is going to have the defensive impact that we've seen so far this season, uh, you know, since he's actually healthy again, you know, if he's going to have that kind of impact, you know, you can you can play a guy like Holmes with with KP. I think uh, now, you know, we, we I've said it many times in the past, even though it was with a different different head coach, different style, and everything that you know KP at the five is really the way to go, and then you know have a small ball four you know, put Dorian Finney-Smith at the four and, you know, have a bunch of guys that can shoot around him. But as offensively challenged as this team is from the perimeter, <laughs> I, I don't really know if, uh, if if that matters as much. You know, even Maxi Kleba has just been – I can't remember the last time uh, I felt confident uh, with Maxi taking an open three in a game. So, I mean, with all that in mind – and given how many times the Mavs have actually started Dwight Powell with KP this year, I don't see why a KP Rashawn Holmes front court couldn't do some numbers. Uh, you know, just given the activity and uh, how versatile they could be with you know KP can do the pick and pop, and then you can do the pick and roll with uh, with Holmes, and he's got that little. He doesn't have to roll all the way to the basket because he's got that nice little, like I said, that little push floater. Uh, I think it would work out well. It would give him another option, another wrinkle. And, you know, instead of having Dwight Powell on the floor where he, again, he's had some games that he's played really well this year, but he's still somewhat of a liability on offense. So it would, it would add another wrinkle there and it would, it would help raise that playoff ceiling and hopefully help the Mavs end a decade-long drought of not being able to win a series. But anyway, uh, that's going to – we still got some more trade stuff to talk about, but it's going to have to – it's going to have to come on the next one. And we still have about a little over two weeks until the NBA trade deadline. So I'm sure a lot more stuff will come up and, you know, we'll, we'll have a lot more content, both written and uh, pod-related uh, to talk about Mavs trade stuff with you guys. So, uh, Matt, before we go off here, Mavs Warriors tomorrow night, last time they played, the Mavs held them to a season low 82 points on dirt night. Uh, Clay Thompson is back, but they're missing Draymond Green, who is basically, you know, he, he makes everything work for them defensively. They're still good defensively, but, you know, he's kind of like the engine of that. Uh, how do you think the Mavs are going to do in their, their next matchup against the I think it'll be really interesting to watch because, you know, they, the the defense that they've been playing obviously worked very well against Golden State the last time they were out. They didn't have Clay back, though, in that game. They did have Draymond. So it'll be interesting to see how it, how it works with Clay back in the lineup. But, um, I mean, this this will be a great test to see if they can continue, you know, with that defensive pace. I'm looking forward to see how how the defensive and our guy Grant Afseth wrote about this uh, when it was announced that Clay Thompson was coming back. Uh, you know, I'm interested to see how it affects 
how the Mavs guard Steph Curry because they held him to, I believe, 14 points in that last matchup, and they were just hounding him. You know, it was they were doubling him every time and basically just like daring the rest of the Warriors to beat them. And with Clay back, I mean, I, I haven't really, I haven't looked at his numbers since he's been back, but uh, you can't really afford to do that as much with him back in the lineup. So again, it, you know, it helps. Uh, having Draymond Green out, you know, at least from Mavs offensive perspective, but uh, I'm interested in seeing if they can keep up the same kind of defensive defensive intensity with uh, Curry, uh, with Clay Thompson back in the lineup. But as good as the Mavs are playing, I mean, they're capable of winning any of these games. If they win it and they come out of this, you know, this last three-game stretch against Phoenix, uh, Memphis, and Golden State going two and one, uh, with a bunch of what should be easy wins coming up. I don't want to jinx it, but, I mean, again, how they're playing compared to some of the other teams on the roster coming up, like Orlando again, OKC again, uh, the Mavs have a real chance to to stack up some wins here at the end of the season. But, guys, appreciate it. You guys go like, rate, and subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. We are doing a ticket giveaway for Mavs Pacers on January 29th. It's Rick Carlisle's return to Dallas. Uh, it's two lower bowl tickets. You can go to, I believe it's pinned on my Twitter page, at Dalton underscore Trig. Uh, if you want to go and enter that, we will be announcing the winner for that one after Mavs Warriors tomorrow night. So you still have some time to enter, enter that contest or the giveaway if you want to. But Guys, we appreciate it. Y'all have a great rest of your Monday, and we will see you next time. Y'all have a good